So we'll officially begin. And um, obviously, before we get started, we need to know who you are and what you do. So my name is Hafsa, but I go by half and half. Um, and there's two versions of me, um, just like my name says, half and half. Um, and the first version is the Hafsa, who is a working professional in corporate America. Um, and she wasn't in corporate America to begin with. She actually started in the public sector, um, but studied international relations in Arabic, transcended that into a career in politics, did that for about five years, and then kind of transitioned into the private sector. Um, and my career has been rooted around immigration and immigration advocacy. Um, and then half and half is the artist is the other half of me or the other version of me. Um, and I um, am an artist. I'm a graphic designer, an illustrator, um, a painter. Um, really I started off as a ceramicist. Um, yeah. <laughs> and I've done all these different kinds of art mediums. And um, now I'm in a place where I am able to marriage the two versions of myself um, into something that encompasses both of my identities. So um, that is one being an immigration advocate who works on policy and advocacy issues for immigrants in America. And then two, as an artist, how am I able to showcase that through my art and celebrate it as well? So that's me. That's amazing. And I'm so excited because it, I think that a lot of people who follow you, and there's a lot of people who follow you, they might not know about both your identities. Because <laughs> I don't think you, I don't think you talk about it much on Instagram. No, um, and actually, that's because I wasn't allowed to. So oh. um, when I worked for, yeah, so when I worked in um, politics, um, I was not allowed to talk about what I did on social media. So um, that was mostly because I worked for an elected official. Um, oh. And um, everything that I did was supposed to be a representative a representative of me and not who I worked for. Um, and so I actually had to hide a lot of my professional identity at the time um, because if I were to like expose that part of myself, I probably wouldn't have succeeded far in my career. Um, there were also a lot of rules. Um, so when I started that job, I was told that I just couldn't. So I wasn't um, allowed to speak on it. I wasn't allowed to post about it and I wasn't allowed to share those things with um, the public. And so that's why I didn't talk about it on social media. And then I feel like because I did that for so long, um, and now I have this role where I work in immigration and I am allowed to talk about it. I'm so used to not talking about it that <laughs> yeah. I just don't talk about it. <laughs> yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. Uh, it's, it, it's, it's still really cool. Like I, I still find it so fascinating what you did before, but we'll get into that in a little bit. The yeah. next thing I want to talk about, which is like the meat and potatoes of this is Obviously, you're brown. So we need to know, mm -hmm. was being a doctor ever part of your journey? Or was it ever part of like the pressure that you got from your parents? Like, oh, you need to be a doctor. Yeah. Um, so not so much my parents, but um, the community. And by community, I mean, like all of those that like helped me grow up. Um, so whether that was my family friends, my um, extended family, my aunts and uncles, my grandparents, I definitely got the doctor talk. I feel like we all do, right? Like yep. um, we're in middle school, um, barely 12 years old. And they're like, all right, time to open up a science book and get to work. Um, and I did get that talk, but my parents never pressured me into it, but they definitely, um, for like, 
they foresaw a career for me that was part of the traditional path, right? So like they wanted yeah. me to follow a career path that made sense or a profession that um, was something that they were used to or had heard of. I have a lot of friends who are in consulting now and like they are pretty high up at their firms, um, make amazing money, but their parents still have no idea what they do. Um, and to be fair, I have no idea what consultants do either. Uh, that's what I was, my next question is like, I always hear that, but what does that actually mean? I don't know. <laughs> my best friend's a consultant. I've been friends with him for 13 years and I still don't know what he does. Like he, I don't know. I don't know who so <laughs> I think that they're just like used to, our parents are used to these like professions that they have seen on TV or have yeah. drilled into their brains through their yeah. like peers and their parents and their society that like there's four major career paths that you need to follow you're either a doctor a lawyer an engineer or I don't even know like I think those are the three ones that I can think of and it's weird like who decided that those were gonna be the three because I know (laughs) if they wanted us to aim for the moon or like aim for the stars they should have been like why why not a CEO there's so many brown CEOs like why isn't that ever brought into the yeah I know it's not it's still and I really thought or imagined, you know, that as time went on as like, you know, as over here, we have now like second generation parents and stuff like that. But part of that mentality is still there. I still mm-hmm. hear uh, people saying that, oh, you either doctor, lawyer, engineer or something like that, because I think it also is that conceptually they can understand what those careers might be, even though yeah. like, nobody knows what an engineer really does. Like my parents have no idea what an engineer does, right? But they will oh, still like know. the yeah. title of engineer. Um, so they don't understand anything. Even when I was in healthcare, when I was in healthcare administration, I used to try mm-hmm. to tell my mom what I did too, but she had no idea uh, what I did. She yeah. just said, oh, I work, I work at a healthcare agency and that's it. So if you're not one of those, you're, you're basically mm-hmm. nothing or you're famous because then there, it's easy to or brag about you if you're yeah. famous. It's very easy. Right. It's like, oh yeah, that person. Yeah. Right. And it's, I'll it's, talk a little bit more about like fame or like name recognition with my art um, and how it started to like seep into my like family's brains that I was a real artist much later when oh I want to know about I'll this bring that up. yeah okay, they cool. really didn't. yeah we'll talk about it we'll talk about it okay cool all right I, yeah so the, the next thing was going to be like so when you were a kid right your parents or, or your, your community uh, gave you suggestions but what did you actually mm-hmm. want to do when you were a kid like 10 or 15 years old what were you thinking of Oh my God. When I was six years old, I remember this because, um, I kept all of my journals. I used to journal as a kid. Um, and I remember at six, seven years old, I found a journal, like I think in 2014, I just like found it when we were moving and stuff. And I was like going through it and I was like, how old was I? And I looked at the year stamp on there and I was like, this is like 1999. And I was like, what did I like have to do in 1999? Like, what was I talking about? And so I'm flipping through and and in it, I wrote in my core handwriting, um, I'm going to own a pizza hut. Um, and I'm going to be an artist. And so, (laughs) yeah, I wrote, I'm going to be an artist. I'm going to make art and I'm going to own a pizza hut. Those are going to be my two things. And that is amazing. I know. Isn't that so crazy that I said that to myself as like a six, seven, eight year old. And I was like, I'm going to be an artist, but also 
I did want to go I'm going to order pizza hut. <laughs> it was never a, pizza. <laughs> you could definitely have a pizza spot now too. It's funny you say that when I was a kid and this is so random too. I always mm-hmm. my my side dream was 7-11. I was like, yo, I want to own the 7-11. <laughs> It was because of the Slurpees, right? It's because of the Slurpees and all the snacks. You like you could imagine you own it, you walk in and just have whatever you want, whenever you right. Want. Like as a kid, you had no idea like what no. it did, what it like cost to run a business. You were nope. just like, I'm gonna have a pizza hat. I'm gonna make pizza all the time. Yeah, so. and I'm gonna eat it. That's what I would do. I was like, I'm gonna eat everything. <laughs> I'm gonna that's make. Funny. It. I'm that's funny. That's really make cool. Either. Yeah. That's really cool that you actually had an art or, or had like the awareness to know that you wanted to be an artist. Because I feel like. Even up until a couple of years ago, I can't even imagine what that would have been like to think of yourself as an artist or think that you want to make art. Because when we were kids, yeah. that wasn't a real thing. There was no, no. real artist. There was painters no, you read about watching, and that's about it. Yeah, like I remember the only reason I even thought that being an artist was a viable career option is because it was a subject in school. So I was like, oh, uh, because this is a subject in school, then it must be someone's job. <laughs> like, oh, why would they that's a really good thought it? process. Yeah, I was like, why would Damn. they be teaching it to us if it wasn't a subject in school? That makes so much sense. I never thought of it that way. Yeah, and so I was like, I would come home from school, and my parents would be like, "What are you gonna be when? What do you want to be when you get older?" And I'd be like, "An artist. Like it's my favorite subject." So dope. That's really cool. <laughs> I love that six-year-old awareness. Like, this is what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna, I'm gonna make art. Yeah. Um. So going going into the next step is talking a little bit more about what you actually do now. Um, Mm -hmm. So people can have a better understanding of like what your day-to-day is like. Yeah. Um, So do we want to talk about, actually, I'll talk about what my day just looks like. Um, And like full disclosure, before I start talking about this, I do not recommend this lifestyle to anybody. Um, (laughs) It is definitely not healthy. Um, It does not give you any sort of, I don't know, it gives me satisfaction. I don't think it's going to make anybody feel good about themselves, but this is my crazy, crazy life. I wake up at 7 a.m. So right now during this pandemic, I wake up at 7 a.m. I log into work. Um, I make sure that I'm available and I go to sleep for an hour. (laughs) I get back up, (laughs) log in, and I work. If I have emails to send art related, I'll do that in between, but I work until about 4, 4 4.30. And then if I have an ongoing project, I will um, start working around five, six o'clock um, after this work. This is for your art. And then, this is for my art. Yeah. And so after after I'm done with like my job job around the five, yeah. six o'clock, um, I'll take like an hour break to like decompress. And then um, at five, six o'clock, I'll get working on whatever project I'm doing and I won't stop until like midnight, one o'clock. And it is a very unhealthy lifestyle because you're just working yourself to death. And I'm sure that there's ways that people can like, you know, um, schedule it out or parcel it out throughout the week and like come up with a healthy plan. But I'm just like, that's my, that's my personality. Like if I'm fixated on something, I'm just going to work on it, work on it, work on it. And then when it's done, I can relax, but it's never done. That's the catch. It's, it's never done because I take on another project. And so it's never done. Every time I'm like, oh my God, I have a project. It's due in a week. And then I'm done in a week. And I'm like, oh, I already took on another one. So it's never. That's a good problem to have. Yeah, Yeah. it is. It's interesting you say that because I feel like even people that I've spoken to, I think everybody has this, there isn't enough time in the day, right? And I think that if you really want to go for something or you're, you're actually really trying to go in, you will have a very unhealthy a unhealthy lifestyle and I think that sometimes this is a topic for another time but I think that social media 
because of what you see, you don't realize yeah. how much work is going behind there. And even for what we do, a lot of times we have people who like come for like either internships and stuff and they talk about and mm-hmm. they think that's like this glamorous thing where all you're doing yeah. is shooting high fashion and chilling with celebrities. But 90% of it is just sitting at your desk doing editing or doing work. Or you're just shooting all day. Like a shoot that, a video that you see that's like 30 seconds long, that probably took like 10 hours of shooting and then another how many hours of editing. Yeah, I can imagine. And like a painting that you saw that like I posted or like worked on or like showed you the behind the scenes, like I can put out work fast when I need to, but that's because I have 15 years of experience. Um, and I think a lot of the times people are just like, oh, like, can you whip this up? It'll only take you like an hour. I'm like, it'll take me an hour, but you're paying for the 15 years of experience that I have. That'll make me produce it for you in an hour. That's the funniest thing, how people can take something that you work toward for God knows how many years and then just simplify it to like, hey, it's only going to take you like half an hour to hour. So can you just do it or, or can it just be X amount? Like, or can it be free? Yeah. Cause it's only going to take you 15 minutes. Can it be free? Right. But I like, the, like, I, like no. I like the way you phrased it. I like the way you phrase yeah. it. It is 15 years worth of work that now that's what you're paying for. Right. And right. And now it takes about an hour. So I feel like the unhealthy lifestyle definitely comes when you're trying to start off on something. I am alhamdulillah at a point in my life where um, and in my career um, where I can, like, you know, pass up on projects if I wanted to, like, um, there was a time in about, I think, early 2017, where I was not passing up on anything. I was like, I need to build my portfolio. I need to like, build like something I need to start somewhere. And so I would any project I got, I would take it. And I found myself working 1920 projects at a time driving myself insane, not getting any sleep. And I don't regret that time. But it took a huge toll on my relationships with people. It took a huge toll on my, like, my day job um, and my health. And I think that I grinded that entire time to get to where yeah. I am, like, today, where I can take on, you know, one or two projects here and there and, like, be set because I'm at a price point that I wasn't at, you know, two years ago. Yeah. But um, that, that unhealthy lifestyle now is just a choice. But back then it wasn't when I was starting. So, yeah. It's funny, um, I'm going to bring it back to this whole doctor thing. When you're in med school or you're going through that process, you do have an extremely unhealthy, wild schedule. But the funny yeah. thing is that, so- that society completely forgives, right? So if you don't show up to any social you're events, so right. it, it, nothing, it, you can't do any wrong, right? If I didn't show up to a wedding or birthdays or even in my own marriage or family, like if I couldn't, I didn't do anything. So nobody yeah. questions it. But if you try to apply the same kind of discipline to something else that you're doing, people can seem to understand it. And I've always been, I've always believed if you put that same amount of energy, time and money into anything that you do, you're going to do really well. But I think the society doesn't forgive you the way they forgive you if you're in med school. It's more like if you're doing medicine. You're it's so unfair. right. I never thought about that. It isn't fair. I think, you know, just like also dealing with the stigma behind the fact that art isn't a real career choice. Um, yeah. Also, this feeds into it, not even just with being a doctor, like being with like, like being an immigration advocate, like working on immigration cases, like when the travel ban happened, and I was working for the senator, like, I was working crazy. Like there was families that had um, people trapped at airports there were families that had people trapped in embassies across the country people couldn't get a hold of their family members people couldn't um 
like people were stuck in places they didn't need to be or didn't want to be and I was working so much and no one understood like nobody understood it was like they couldn't they couldn't forgive that because it didn't make sense to them or they didn't understand what I was feeling or why I was doing it it's so unfortunate that it is that way because if in the similar sense if like doctors who are busy during the pandemic uh, no one's questioning why why they're busy like they can understand but why can't they understand what you're doing is equally as important to people's lives as uh, it's just right. interesting that how society works that way because something horrible happened right like there yeah. was a pandemic doctors were needed there was a travel yeah. ban muslims were banned out of the country yeah. mid-flight yeah so immigration crazy. advocates and lawyers were needed needed so, yeah 100 but it didn't make sense it didn't make sense to a lot of people okay <laughs> I, I don't think i need to ask you this but are you, because I think we kind of touched on it already, but are you happy with what you do now and the choice? Like if, if, you're, if your younger self looked at you, would they be happy with what you're doing now or where you're yeah. at now? <laughs> I mean, you're already, you said you're going to be an artist and you are an artist. So I'm sure the six year old will be real happy. Yeah, I could have, if you asked me four years ago, if I would be doing this at the capacity that I'm doing this, I would have been like, yeah, right. Like <laughs> that doesn't sound real that doesn't sound like something that you're doing that's making you real money because again like I as an artist am dealing with the same stigma it's like um I'm constantly like in the beginning of this was underselling myself um and didn't understand why and didn't understand the value that of the service and the goods that I was providing up until you know being around the blog a couple of times but when I started there was no blueprint for it there wasn't a South Asian artist or art scene at the time I think there was maybe two or three of us kind of starting back in 2014 um kind of just you know learning the ropes on our own and I feel like if younger me looked at me now she'd be like wow (laughs) that's awesome yeah And, and that's kind of one of the reasons why I wanted to do this is so like you know, if there's some kid somewhere who thinks or or can't even imagine them being who you are now, they should know that there are people like you who did it with with no resources mm-hmm. and no help. Um, no resources so, and no help. Yeah. And so now I feel like kids have a lot more opportunity. And I mean, I think there was always there, but now there's a, it's amazing to see people that you can actually look up to. Like there's kids now who look, I'm sure a lot of kids look up to you and say like, yo, one day I want to, I want to be her. I want to be just like her. <laughs> That's crazy. It's crazy to think about, but it's the truth. Yeah. I still think I'm a kid, but I'm not. I'm almost 30. So. Yo, I'm, I'm way, way past that. And still like, <laughs> it's mentally, you think that you're somewhere. I, I forgot who I was mm-hmm. talking to recently. And they were like, oh, blah, blah, blah. I was like 35 years old. In my head, I was like, damn, that's old. I'm like, shit. I was like, I'm 35. <laughs> I always forget. That's so uh, funny. It is. So <laughs> yeah, I, I've just immediately made myself very, very old, especially to like younger <laughs> kids. Um, the next question that kind of, kind of goes into this, and I think uh, this is what you were might have touched on, we're about to touch on before about like, now that you're here, you're happy. Your six-year-old self is happy. So now going back to your parents, like, how do they feel about what you do now, and at you know how do they feel about the success that you have now? My parents in the beginning were honestly so supportive, but I, I'm going to preface this with saying I didn't quit my job, right? Like I didn't quit my stable income to do that. Yeah. And I know a lot of people have, and I 
every time someone tells me that they have, I admire them so much because I never did that. Um, and part of me didn't do that because I was afraid of the insecurity, but a big part of me didn't do that because I also still love immigration and what yeah. I do there and what I studied. Um, and so I think that that was an easier transition for them um, to be okay with the fact that, hey, our daughter's doing this, um, but she also is like, you know, working her nine to five. And so that's palatable for us. Yeah. Um, but they started really understanding what I was doing. So my mom really started understanding what I was doing and being prideful and like showing me off to people when um, her peers started noticing what I was doing. Oh um, yeah, that's the best. Yeah, so they were like, oh, we heard that your daughter's art was here. We heard your daughter's art was in that restaurant. We saw that your daughter did this. Um, we saw her art at the mosque. We did this and like we've seen this and my mom was like reveling in the fact my dad didn't really understand what I was doing was legitimate until he saw my tax return. So, <laughs> <laughs> he did not, he did not believe what I was doing was real until he saw that I made actual money from it, that I had to file it on my taxes. And that's when he started legitimizing it in his head. That's so interesting. But seeing it everywhere and hearing people talk about it wasn't enough. Nope. He wants to see the numbers. Reason. He wanted to see the numbers. My dad is a numbers man. And when he saw my tax return, he was like, okay, I see right, what cool. you're doing is real. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, to be fair, and this is something that took me a while to, to really understand too, like at, at the core of it, parents really just want you to be secure, you know, financially yeah. and stable, right? That's why the doctor, Laura engineer is because even back, you know, back in Pakistan or wherever you're from, where like, you know, all brown people that, that they know that because to them, those are like stable careers that make good money. And I think at yeah. the core of it, that's what they really want. So when your dad sees your tax return, like, oh yeah, she's, she's doing it. He's probably like, cool. Yeah. Right, this, this, this is real. Right. He's like, you're good. This is real. Like it didn't legitimize an impediment because I didn't make, like, I know at the end of the day, like commodifying what you're doing um, is so important to them as first generation immigrants because they came here with nothing. And so yeah. they came here to a place to give their children everything. And when they see that their children, because like I always say that we as second generation immigrants have the luxury to um, live while yeah. they had, they had to focus on surviving. 100%. Um, and so we are not surviving. We're living They were So they're still in survival mode. And so when yeah. they see that we are doing things that, you know, aren't the path to survival and stability, they get worried. And I get that. And I think we need to cut them a lot of slack sometimes because we're just throwing something onto like their entire psyche that they've never even been introduced to until yeah. recently. And we're expecting them to be on board immediately. Um, I think that because I was like smart and lucky enough to be able to do this a little bit later, like I wasn't 17 years old starting this art like career. I was 25 yeah. starting this art career. Um, and I feel like because of that, I was able to have patience with my parents because I was like not a crazy teenager or in my early twenties, I understood where they were coming from. Yeah. And so I really, um, found the importance of giving them, cutting them some slack in the understanding process, because this is definitely nothing that they've been used to. It's, it's, it's a hundred percent true. And you, you were way more mature than I was when, when I did it. And I was, I was like 30 years old. The problem was like, I was, I was a little bit frustrated because Atif did what I wanted to get into too. So I was like, come on, you guys, there's a great example right there. Like 
these are all the and but they're like no like my mom i think still struggle with that a lot the other thing i uh, i was trying to get them to understand too was this on the fact that we're here and the reason why they Mm -hmm. came here i don't think they'll agree with this but is to give us choice right and aside from just having a stability like is to like i know that i'm super lucky to be able to have choice where i can choose not to do stuff or choose to change my career because in many circumstances I wouldn't. So I do give them credit for giving, and I was trying to get them, I was like, yo, the reason why you came here was to give us choice. And they're like, nah, that's not what this is about. <laughs> and then I was trying to tell, because it is it is obviously very risky. And then one of my- Ali, they, they do understand the choice was doctor, lawyer, engineer. Yeah, that's you what had it was. <laughs> I had choice. I, I, had, I could have picked anything I wanted from, from that, but I mm-hmm. clearly did not. Um, my friend was like, yo, one thing that also our parents, it's just funny because they don't think of it that way, is that, the greatest risk ever was to come to a country where they don't know anybody, they don't have anything, they don't have family, they don't have money. Mm-hmm. And like, I can't even imagine doing something like that, right? And we've grown yeah. up in, in a world of choices. So I tell them, I was like, yo, the risk that you took coming here and doing what you did is nothing compared to what I'm trying to do. Uh, but but yeah. at the same time, I should have been a lot more understanding initially. Uh, I just stayed quiet, but it is true. It is something that's not part of, it was never part of their life. And, and I'm sure that, it, you know, some of it is just general disappointment. But luckily, my younger brother is a doctor. So we have one doctor in the family. So. Okay. You know, okay. one out of four. That's fine. One out of four is not bad because the other three are, 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 are artists and, and, you know, not, <laughs> not, yeah. not, what they, not what we should have been. That's okay. The, the thing is, it, do you want to, yeah, we are here. Uh, I wanted, do you want to talk about the fame thing now that you had mentioned before of how the recognition yeah, my mom, um, like, I think it was, like, in the middle of a conversation she was having with um, somebody, um, I think it was a family member um, that had visited um, a restaurant. I've done so many different restaurants um, around the East Coast with my art that um, I sometimes, like, don't even bring it up with my parents um, unless, like, I need something from them. Because, like, you know, I'll just tell them I'm working on a project here and there, but I don't sometimes say it by name. And so somebody had went to this restaurant and it was like covered in my art. Um, yeah. And they had like figured out um, that it was me and then like called my mom and was like, hey, like um, we went to this restaurant, like your daughter's artwork was everywhere. It was the, the restaurant sign. It was the logo. Like, that's so amazing. Like, how cool is that? And my mom was like so floored that somebody recognized it and like figured out that it was me. And then two started taking credit for it she's like oh she gets all of her creativity from me like I taught her all of this like this is all me like she gets it from me we support her so much and I'm like yeah but okay I did that so yeah that's that's busy parents right there right like they don't legitimize what you do or like what you love until someone else legitimizes it right like they need their friends and like their community's cosigns I mean, it's the same reason why when you're doing something that's not traditional bothers them because more so than what, how they feel, it's about, you know, how are the people going to feel? That whole phrase everybody talks about is like, kya kenge, like mm-hmm. what are people going to say? And I think that's so ingrained in them. But when it goes the other way, it actually works for you. Like they might not yeah. realize how big of a deal you are until someone calls them up like, hey, I'm at this restaurant and your daughter's artwork is everywhere. Yeah, so like I guess Lo Kya Kenga happens in my favorite in that scenario. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 
I, I think eventually when you get to the point where I think that 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 is an achievement when people really can brag about you know something that you do super cool yeah um, it is, it is uh, I think that's really special um the let's see the next question I think we already talked about that oh the, the I think a good thing would be like what are the biggest challenges that you face figuring out you actually it could be both sides too it could be your actual like job and also like the artwork that you do like what were the biggest challenges getting to where you are now for both your careers um, yeah i think it was the fact that there was no blueprint right like i didn't even know my job like right out of college the one that i took as an immigration advocate for the senate i had no idea that was a job <laughs> like i had no idea i feel like a lot of us are like in jobs and positions that like if you asked us about them when we were in our early like college years wouldn't even be able to tell you that those are careers um yes. and so i was in this job and um i didn't really know what to do like i didn't know how to explain it to people i didn't know and a lot of those conversations ended up being conversations about the american government system because a lot of people didn't know um how the government even operated yeah. how what's the difference between the house of representatives what's the difference between the senate what do they do how are these functions related how do they help people that they represent what are the tangible actionable things that they can do for their communities um and so that was a difficult thing to kind of navigate um but also i was a public servant and public servants don't make much money and so yeah. it was a choice <laughs> i could have like taken a more high paying role out of college but it wouldn't have been a public service and i wouldn't have been helping people um, yeah. which is what i ultimately wanted to do um but that was very difficult for my parents to understand because they were like well you have a college degree and you're not really making that much money um yeah. so like what is it that you even do um, so those are a little tough, those are tough conversations to navigate. And then with the art, it was kind of difficult because I am not a business person. Um, I don't know how to run a business. I'm yeah. an artist through and through. Um, and I would be posting, um, a lot of my work. Um, I remember in 2013, 2014 on social media and people would want to buy it and I had no idea how to sell it. <laughs> like I was like always just confused. And so yeah. I started a small website, figured out how to commodify it a little bit, but it was still difficult for me to sell my work. Um, for me, it was like, um, this is mine. I made it. But if I'm choosing to show it to you or share it with you or the world, then I have to be okay with you owning it too. Um, well, that's and, an interesting concept. Yeah. It was hard to understand because I felt selfish with it. And then I was like, I can't be selfish with it if I'm choosing to put it out there. Um, because you're ultimately sharing that part of you. You're going to have people contacting you wanting to also have that part of you. Um, I was so selfish with it in the beginning. I was like, this is mine. You can't have it. <laughs> wait, so I, wait, I have a question. So this is so interesting that you say, so that really shows that how much you actually loved what it because you never thought about doing this to one day make money off of it right you were just doing it because yeah. you wanted to do it so right like what made you actually start posting it like why did you want to share it I think like I was like you know I'm good at this I should share my talent and my skill with the world um because like it was fun to do that yeah but then after that like it started being like, is this for sale? How can I buy this? Where can I get this? Can you do this? Can you do that? And I was like, um, I don't know how to. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't know if I want to, honestly. Yeah. 
Um, but slowly I had to come around to the mentality that like, if you're going to be sharing your work, um, then you have to be okay with the fact that you might, um, have to, like, you have to find a way that benefits you when someone wants it, because it can't yes. just be like, there's no reason that like, that anyone can't just take my art, screenshot it and print it at home. Like they've probably yeah. done that before. Um, I'm sure. so if people are going to do that, might as well find a way to make it mutually beneficial, give them a quality product. That's also giving me the funds and resources to continue doing what I love. Um, yeah. And so that, I think I launched halfandhalf.com officially um, in 2018. I had like a small website, but like I had like maybe like four prints for sale yeah. um, in 2014, 2015, but then I really launched it in 2018. But I had to get a business partner. I couldn't do it on my own. And I still don't do it on my own. I need him. <laughs> I, I think that that's, but that, I think that's fair. I think that that's one of those things that we get caught up in where I, I know that I've had in the past where I feel like, oh, I can do, I should be able to do everything. But you learn that everybody got limits. You might be great at this, but you're not going to be so good. Like I'm not good with logistics and stuff like that at all. Um, yeah. I hate, I hate all of that. So uh, it's definitely good to have a partner who can take care of your business. So I'm glad, I'm glad you got that. Yeah. And also I'm glad that you started selling your stuff because like my favorite thing that we own in our, in our apartment is the, the dual flower piece that you have. And that's the middle oh. piece in my living room. I love that. Yeah, that that's one of my so favorite happy. ones. See, yeah. and like that piece of me is now in your house. And like, that's such a great feeling. Um, and it took me a while to understand that feeling and being able to share your work with people outside of a virtual confine. That was something that I also wanted to like really, really emphasize on the fact that like there's artists out there and there's people out there who are just digital content creators and yeah. I am an artist. There's a, I feel like there's a, a very big difference between an artist and a digital content creator yeah. um, because I want my art and my legacy to live outside of social media. It needs to live outside of the internet. It needs to be physical, viewable, something that you can touch. And I think that being able to sell that to somebody or being able to put it up in a commercial space has allowed me to outgrow my legacy outside of the internet. Then you made me really sad about what I do. <laughs> everything, everything that we do lives, lives on social media and it's, it's disposable. <laughs> no, I think that's beautiful. I think, no, I think it's really beautiful. And I think that most people, I think that's, I really appreciate like having some art and it's funny cause I never thought about it in the way that you spoke first where like you didn't want to give it up. And I can also see that cause you put so much love and time and energy into something that it might be hard to just give it to some or like, you know, sell it to somebody. But yeah. I think that like the joy that you give to people when they own stuff, I think that's really cool. Like when I get art from somebody, it makes me really happy. That's so great. And I didn't mean that your work I'm joking with you. I know. I no. I'm joking with you. I am very aware of what I do. <laughs> I'm very aware of what I do and where it lives. Most of the stuff that we do lives on Instagram stories and we know where they go in 24 hours. Nowhere. <laughs> Listen, what you do is an art form in itself and we all enjoy it and we all consume it and we all love it. And I'll <laughs> say that now and then I'll wake up at three in the morning and think about it later and have anxiety. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh man! Oh, that was good. Um, th sorry, that uh, and I realized that. Uh, so I didn't put this in the list of questions that I sent you. But when you were talking, I realized one of the purposes of this is to help 
you know, potentially someone younger or anybody who's trying to like figure out the career stuff, um, would you be able to like share um, what is, what did you ha do to get to those positions, right? So to be an immigration advocate, like what was your general path? Like what was your major <laughs> in college or what did you have to do to get to that? Because like you said, most people, like even for me, the reason is like a lot of people that I speak to like you, like I didn't even know that these jobs existed when I was young. So yeah. I wouldn't even know how I would go for it. So it, how, what was the path to get to where you, uh, where you got to? So um, interesting enough, I'll talk about both things. Um, so to get to where I am, I studied international relations in Arabic and I always wanted to work for the United Nations. Um, oh. But I was actually, when I was in school, I was interning um, at local elected officials offices um, with no real idea on what I wanted to do after I graduated. Um, and so I just did a bunch of internships. I worked for a nonprofit. I worked for um, a advocacy program for like the governor's office i worked for an asian like health clinic that focused on asian american health um i worked for a senator i worked for a representative and when i graduated um i was still working at the arabic department at my school um with no idea what i was going to do once that job was over at the end of the summer yeah. um and because i had like left my only advice here would be wherever you're interning in school, leave a lasting impression and keep your connections because when a job opened up in the Senate office, they contacted me because I was an intern there. Um, mm. And I kind of, I just took it with no idea what it was going to be like. I was like, why not? <laughs> and That's true, why I took not? it. And it turned out to be an amazing, amazing experience and helped me realize that I was very passionate about immigration and immigration services. So my advice there would be, to maintain your connections with people especially when you're in school because you never know what they'll turn into with art i will backtrack a little and say that most of my opportunities sorry my like skype notification keeps going off okay. i keep telling people that in the seventh ring of hell it will just be you in a silent room and the skype notification will just be going <laughs> off and you'll be looking around and you'll be like someone's trying to contact me but who is it um so <laughs> Yeah, so as you can see, that's how much that's how much I like being contacted. So, um, but the other thing is that most of my opportunities for art in like um, commercial spaces, so restaurants, music, apps, um, like lounges, um, digital advertising, have a hundred percent come from social media. So, um, social media is a great thing and <laughs> has helped me um, get all of my role so I feel like because I had like a couple of jobs like doing art for different restaurants um those restaurants passed my name along I worked with a design firm I worked with a wedding planner and so it's like name recognition um just through like you know contacting people verbally but then a lot of it just stemmed from social media so um if you're trying to get into that space I would definitely recommend being consistent in your platform and outputting work that you want the, outputting the kind of work that you want to participate in. Did you, did you first, like for your first, like in the start, were you reaching out to people or were you getting contacted from people based on what you were putting out? I was reaching out to people in my network um, to do like fun stuff. So like, I was like, oh, we're having an event, like there's a party or like there is um, like a social event. Like how can I incorporate my, excuse me, my art into this? Um, can I do it through social media and advertising? Can I actually put myself in a space where we can 
do like an art event, like showcase my art, do it live. So those are the kinds of people I was um, contacting and that was in the entertainment industry. But like the commercial space, it was people reaching out to me. That's really cool. That's really yeah, interesting. It's like, I don't know, it's hard, like putting yourself out there. I was just kind of forcing myself into spaces. I was like, oh, you guys are having an event. A lot of brown people will be there. Let me do something. And like offering up stuff for free, um, which kind of helped get my name out there. And so um, that was like putting myself um, in a space where collaboration was more than compensation um, and was helping me get to a spot where that partnership would be more meaningful than getting paid for that work. Yeah. Um, and so that kind of propelled me into the direction that I wanted to go in. I think that like this, it is a tricky balance because in the start, you will have to do a lot of these collaborations instead of getting compensated. But then there comes a point where like, I think people expect you to just collaborate and not get compensated. And then to know like your worth when you get to a certain point, where you don't need not need yeah you don't need that anymore i think that's a tricky thing to know make sure like people know know that know your worth yeah definitely i think that um i didn't understand that or feel that um uh, i'm just slipping i think there's <laughs> also like there's there's light coming right like there's like a beam of light right on your forehead no why did you do that earlier i i i, I, I was gonna stop it i think it just got way brighter now I don't know if that's a sun or the reflection from the sun or something, it's but it's like, sun. yeah. It's the sun. Um, You're so, just beaming. I'm just beaming. <laughs> um, so I think that now, just going through it's a trial and error, right? Like, I feel like yeah. I can't give anybody a blueprint and be like, hey, like, these are the things worth your time to do for free and these things aren't. I think it just has to do with your brand and what you're trying to achieve. Um, I did a lot of free stuff that was ultimately meaningless and didn't meant nothing and I wasted time and hours but I think that's just part of the process right part of learning so, that makes sense yeah um, so on that same note if you what well, if you could give your younger self some advice what would you tell them oh my god to be patient I did so much work so fast just trying to output content that I had to go back and make changes to because I was being so impatient. Mm -hmm. um, I was like, why am I not there yet? Why have I not received, like, gotten to that point? Why have I not done X, Y, and Z yet? Why have I not gotten there? And I was always like, oh, I'm so old. Like, um, I'm like 25 getting into this game, blah, blah, blah. But no, I think it's just like, things happen when they're supposed to happen and you have to do it with patience it's about it's like what is the saying slow and steady wins the race and so it was something that I definitely didn't believe in until recently I I think that is a really really good lesson or you know it's really good advice because I think that same thing because of social media I think people don't realize that sometimes or not sometimes most of the time it takes a lot of time and a lot of hard work to get to you know where you are now. It's not like you woke up one day and you know, you you had everything that you do now and had the followers and had like the clients. It doesn't mm -hmm. work that way. There's a lot of grinding and a lot of time. Absolutely. In twenty eighteen I had six thousand followers. And Damn. what is it, twenty twenty? Mm-hmm. I have forty thousand more. So that's amazing. Yeah, two years growth. And it's all organic growth, which I'm very proud of. I've never hashtagged a thing in my life. 
So oh, you weren't you weren't I, following you weren't following and unfollowing people. <laughs> no, I never did any of that. I know people who did, and I didn't do that. Um, I don't think people should. I don't think people should either. But the one thing I will say about organic growth is that it's organic followers, but it's also organic customers because um, the people always look at like businesses and like artists and stuff, and you see their following and like. Um, like that number may just be your following, but in my instance, that number is my following, but also my customer base because that organic growth came on its own. It wasn't forced. And so those people actually want to consume the content and purchase it too. I think that's super important because I think a lot of times, even in conversations that we have with clients and just in general, people get so caught up in numbers without understanding like what how much engagement are you getting from those numbers? So it's insane that the average um, is around between one to 3%, which is crazy low, right? But it's because people yeah. just focus on building numbers and not focus on you know, how much of your audience actually engages with what you do, whether it's buying stuff or watching stuff or whatever. Like, I think that's way more important than having like, you know, 50,000 followers, but like you have like a hundred people who actually support what you do. Yeah. Exactly. And I didn't realize those numbers and how they translated into business until this past year. Um, and it made me really, truly realize that a lot of my like following and like this base of people that follow my work and what I do, like purchase it. And that's a really cool thing. That's amazing. And there's like a philosophy, there's like a whole philosophy behind um, having a thousand core followers. Like if you have a thousand people that really support you and really buy your stuff and really share your stuff, that that really is all you need um, yeah. to succeed and be stable. Uh, and it's interesting because that number is so low, but to get a thousand people who will buy your stuff or watch your stuff or share your stuff is so tricky because you could have, you know, I don't know, thousands and thousands of followers, but the fact that like no one's buying your stuff, it says a lot. And exactly. if, you, if you bought followers, you'll, you'll realize that really quick. That doesn't mean shit. Yeah. Or even if like, People don't realize like, yeah, okay, you, you reach 50,000 or whatever and a brand might sponsor you. But if the brand is not getting a return on their investment, they're never going to use you ever again. Exactly. That's so true. I remember I was following somebody like a couple of years ago. They had like 1.4 million followers. Um, and I remember I went to one of their posts one day and it had 13 likes, Ellie. Ooh. 13 likes. Ooh, that's like, so sad. Oh, that's so bad. 1.4 million, 13 likes. But that happens a lot when you actually like you'll see their profile and you're like, oh damn, this is crazy. But then when you go in and you see the engagement, it has like two comments and a hundred likes. And you know yeah. for a fact that most of your followers either are fake or I don't know why they're following you. Um, yeah. Crazy. Or you see the when Instagram does their cleanups once in a while and all of a sudden like your mm -hmm. followers get cut by half, then you realize like, yo, this person just had either bought followers or had bought followers and, and that sucks. That's so crazy. But I think yeah, quality over quantity always always in all parts of business i think that's a that's a good place to end this and the last question which is the most important question for me is what's yeah. your favorite pizza spot what's my favorite pizza spot i am um oh, i love detroit style pizza and i mm -hmm. know a lot of people don't know what that is um but i grew up in detroit and I don't know if you guys in Texas have Jets pizza. Have you ever heard of it? They do. Someone just told me about it two days ago. 
Yeah, so Jets is, um, it originated in Detroit, and it is Detroit-style pizza. It's like a weird deep-dish pizza that's extremely greasy. Um, the crust is super crispy, and um, it's, like, kind of baked in itself, and it's, like, cheesy and saucy, and it's just so good. It's, like, buttery pizza, um, and I grew up on that pizza, and it's just my favorite. That's really cool. It's so funny because both me and him both were from New York, right? And he was telling me, he's like, yo, you got to try Jets. He's like, it's kind of like Sicilian, but trust me, it is freaking amazing. So now after it's hearing so you good. talk about it, I, I might have to go get some today. <laughs> it's really good. It's just like a chain. Like it, like you'll walk in and it feels like a Domino's. But um, the way that they make their pizza, it originated in Detroit. And then like they kind of expanded from there. Um, so they call it Detroit style pizza. I didn't know that was a thing up until recently. I also thought the Jets was a nationwide thing until I moved to Ohio and I was like, there's no Jets here. But it is cheesy and buttery and crispy and so so good. I'm glad I'm glad they have it. And I'm definitely not a chain hater and I'm not like a pizza snob. People assume that I am, but I'm not. I love Domino's just as much as I love like a hole in the wall. Okay, spot. good. Yeah. Good, me too. I'm I'm gonna have Jets today. <laughs> <laughs> Let me know. Let me know how you like it. Oh, you'll know. <laughs> um, <laughs> but honestly, thank you so much for, for taking time. Oh, before we go, um, what is the best way for someone to contact? I know you don't like getting contact. I know it's not Skype, so definitely no Skype. But if someone <laughs> wanted to like email. get hit you up or email for some advice or yep. anything, email. Hello at halfandhalf.com email. I would love to answer advice questions via email. That would be totally my preferred method um when people dm me sometimes it gets lost um and if you want to email me it may take me a couple of days to get back to but i always get back to everybody that's really sweet because there's people when they make it they forget about the little people <laughs> no 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 we, we haven't made it yet <laughs> <laughs> that's a problem too never being satisfied yep but we're artists thank you ellie i appreciate no, thank you. you okay this is so much fun <laughs> And I will talk to you again really soon. Very soon, inshallah.